scripture reading will be from the book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 24 through 30. Acts 26, 24 through 30. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now as, he, now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and all those who sat with him. If we were to take a trip downtown in any town, we were to walk around, we were begin to ask people about Jesus. There is no doubt we would get a multitude of different answers to our questions about who He is, what He is, and where He is. A multitude of questions and answers. In the passage presented for us this morning, we are introduced to three different men. One was a king, one was a governor, and one was a prisoner. And each of those men had very different attitudes toward Jesus. Absolutely, if you could take three things and be 180 degrees apart, that's what these three men were. I believe we find those same general attitudes in the world today, in the people today. Let's take Festus for instance. Festus represented a hateful attitude toward Jesus. He was antagonistic toward the gospel. And he accused Paul of being mad. He said, Paul, you're mad because of much learning. You spend too much time studying about this man, Jesus. You've been looking into the prophets and the laws, and you're beside yourself. Of course, the people during Jesus' life said the same thing about him, didn't they? We can look at Mark 3.21. He was beside himself too. He was crazy. Do you notice when someone gives themselves to say money, pleasure, or power, no one accuses them of being crazy. No, they're just smart. But when someone gives themselves to God, all of a sudden they're backwards and they're superstitious. I can remember several years ago we had a president in the White House who talked about guns in the Bible and superstitious and backwards people. Paul represented those who honor Jesus. He gave himself to living every minute of his life for him, Philippians 1, 21. Those who are hateful toward Jesus view Christians as people who are odd and weird and, and because all they do is talk about God. Well, that's not true. That just simply is not the case. Christians are very peculiar people now what that means, by the way, is a possession. That doesn't mean odd or weird when we look in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. 
We are a peculiar people, but we are God's possession. We belong to Him because we've given ourselves to Him. We are His possession for His work. That's what that means. We're a holy nation, a peculiar people, set apart, set aside to do the things God has asked us to do. That's what that means. But we are a peculiar people, but we do a whole lot of things besides talk about God, talk about Jesus. We have jobs. We take care of our families. We have uh, things that we enjoy doing. We involve ourselves in recreation and we have hobbies, but we do things in light of what God wants us to do. Notice that our hobbies and our recreation are things of a godly nature. You see, that's what it means to be God's possession. We do things in light of what God would want us to do. That's why we are a peculiar People. Notice that Paul was a tent maker, wasn't he? He partnered up for a time with Aquila and Priscilla and he made a godly living with his hands. He didn't engage in activity that God would frown upon. He made a, a living that he could be proud of making. And so to give oneself to Christ doesn't mean that a person spends 24-7 sitting around reading the Bible. He makes a living, he takes care of his family, but he makes time so God has a place in his life and God is foremost in his life. Everything else takes a back seat to God, but he does do those things which is important in his life to take care of those important things. But God is first and foremost. Then we see something different in Agrippa. You see, Agrippa doesn't hate Jesus. He's not against him. He's just not for him. But you know, Jesus had something to say about that too, didn't he? He said, if you're not for me, you are against me. You see, Agrippa and those like him, they're close to obeying the gospel. They're on the, on the cusp of doing the right thing. They're just not hardly there yet. You see, they're simply holding back. I don't know what it is. They don't know what it is maybe, but something is keeping them from doing exactly what they need to be doing. It might be something in their personal lives. It might be something in their professional lives. It might be money. It might be power. It might be something else. But something is keeping them from doing exactly what they need to do. Agrippa was close to obeying God and becoming a Christian. But something was keeping him from doing that. He wasn't obeying the plan of salvation. He wasn't acknowledging his belief in Christ. He wasn't repenting of his past sins. It might have been something to do with pride. He was surrounded by all those folks. He might not have wanted it to have gotten back to Rome and to Caesar. And after all, Festus was sitting there. He might have been afraid to confess that Christ was the very Son of God. That he died on the cross and he was buried, that he rose again, that he reigned over his spiritual kingdom at that very moment in time, and he does today. He might not have had the courage to have been baptized, to have his sins washed away like Paul had, Acts 22, verse 16. You know, Paul lived a rough life, didn't he? Being faithful to God. He endured a lot. I don't know that Agrippa was willing to do that. Evidently not. But whatever it was, he was being held back. Agrippa was almost persuaded, but almost never works. That's the title of the sermon this morning. 
almost never works. But the Bible is filled with examples of people who were almost where they needed to be. Almost. Have you ever almost been there but not hardly? I've been there a time or two. Almost been there, but you just missed out. I played baseball in high school. I was almost the best second baseman in our region. Almost. Not hardly. That's a big difference. Israel stood at Kadesh Barnea, numbers 13 and 14. They were almost in the promised land. Almost was the difference between going in and reaping the promise and spending and dying 38 years later in the wilderness. Almost. The concubine of Judges 19. That may be the most sad account I have ever read in the Old Testament. Judges 19. The worst thing I may have ever read about a group of low-life, sorry individuals ever doing to someone in Judges 19. She was almost inside that home, had her hand on the threshold, almost in there to safety, but not quite. She was almost there, but she died. Jesus told the scribe he was not far from the kingdom of God, Mark 12, 28 through 34, but almost didn't work for him either. He wasn't there. Acts 26, 26 described Agrippa as almost. He was almost a Christian, but he was still lost. He was almost a believer, but he was still a non-believer. He was close, but not there. Almost never works. Some of us today may be in a very same place as Agrippa. Almost faithful, but not yet there. There's no greater tragedy in the world than for a person to be blessed with the opportunity to obey the gospel, but yet walk away. It's a tragedy that is repeated by billions of people on a daily basis. This morning, let's consider what it means to be almost saved. Agrippa was brought to a place of almost by the truth of the gospel. That's our first point. He heard the testimony of the scripture. He heard it from Paul. Paul told it to him and he reminded Agrippa of the word of God and he told the king that he knew about those things. Not only did he know about them, he said, King, you believe them. I know you do. He knew all about that. What did he know? He knew the law and he knew the prophets. Verse 22. Paul used the truth of the Scripture to bring Agrippa to the faith where he needed to be in Christ. He did it just like the Ethiopian eunuch did it in Acts chapter 8. We recall that, don't we? That's a beautiful account of a man riding along in his chariot. Philip comes up to him and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? He was reading Isaiah chapter 52. He was reading about the account of the coming Messiah. He said, Do you believe what do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I unless someone guide me? Well, some man guided him and he began at that point, he said, and he taught him about Christ. He said, does the prophet speak of himself or another man? No, he's speaking of another man. And so they came to a place. He said, see, here's water. 
what doth hinder me from being baptized? He said, Thou mayest, if thou believest. So they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. You see the difference in the accounts? You see, Philip started in the prophets, and he taught that eunuch about Christ, and he baptized that man. And the last thing we hear about the eunuch is he went on his way rejoicing because he had the burden of sin lifted from him, and he became the saved man. Now we have Paul standing before Agrippa, a man who wasn't for Jesus, who wasn't against Jesus. He didn't hate him. He didn't love him. He just didn't want to have anything to do with the man. He was almost there, but see, almost doesn't work. And he taught him from the law and the prophets the same thing that Philip did, but we have a totally different outcome. Because it's a totally different answer, it's a totally different person, and it's a totally different attitude. And we have no reason to believe that Agrippa ever changed his mind. But it's the same truth that the eunuch heard. Belief puts us almost in Christ, but not into Him. We read that in Romans Chapter 10, don't we? With the mouth, confession is made. With, the, with uh, belief, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Right? That's unto. What's that tell us? It's got to be something else. Not into salvation. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Agrippa almost became a Christian. He almost was saved by the truth. Not only did he have the testimony of the Scripture, he also had the testimony of the Savior. Chapter 26 of Acts is devoted to Paul telling Agrippa how he was saved and how the king could also be saved. He told Agrippa he was happy to have given up the life he enjoyed. You see, Paul had it all, didn't he? He had it going for him. We go back to chapter 8 and we first learn about him. Or chapter 7, we first learn about him. We learn about a young man named Stephen and he delivered one of the most powerful sermons that is recorded in the book of Acts. He gives a history of the Jewish people. He asks those chief Jews, he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not murder? They couldn't take it. They could not stand to hear the truth. They fell upon him. They gnashed with their teeth and they murdered that young man. They stoned him to death. He looked into heaven. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You know who was holding the coats? A young man named Saul. Now he's standing in front of Agrippa. He's teaching about who was standing in heaven looking down upon Stephen who's being stoned to death. And he's trying to get Agrippa to change. He's talking about that Savior who's standing in heaven looking down. Almost. Doesn't work. Almost isn't going to get it done. The Savior is pleading. Agrippa's not listening. It's the same truth. It's the same Savior. It's the same Scripture. 
Agrippa is not listening. Notice what Paul told the Corinthians. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul's the illustration, isn't he? We go from Acts chapter 7, a man holding the coats of the men murdering Stephen to now standing before Agrippa, a new creature. His name's not even the same. He's a new person. We go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. He says, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. Now I know there's a crown of life waiting for me, not just to me only. See, it could have been for Agrippa too. But to all those who love his appearing. He's talking about Christ. Christ is coming. How do we know? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. He's going to come with the shout of the archangel, with the trump of God. He's going to come with a flaming sword. But he's not just coming to gather the faithful. He's coming with a flaming sword. He's coming with vengeance on those that obey not the gospel and know not the name of Christ. Agrippa, for all we know, for it's recorded for us, is going to be in that group. It's the same scripture. It's the same Savior. It's the same truth. Why was Agrippa almost a Christian? Well, there are at least two reasons why he was almost a Christian. There are two, at least two traps. That's our second point that Satan uses. Sin is a trap Satan has expertly set for the world. The power of sin is devastating to the souls of people. A woman named Bernice is mentioned in Acts 25-23 and in Acts 26-23. She is Agrippa's wife. But in reality, she was his sister. Agrippa was living in in an immoral relationship and he understood if he gave himself to Jesus, some things had to change. A lot of things had to change. You see, Jesus requires people to repent of sin. Luke 13, verse 3, And Paul reminded those in Greece, God requires all people everywhere to repent, Acts 17, 30, and 31. The problem for Agrippa was he didn't want to repent. He didn't want to change. Jesus loves the world so much that he will accept anyone who will come to him. In fact... He offered this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But notice again, he will accept anyone who will come to him. But there are some requirements to come to him. We have to love him. And we have to obey him. We can't come to him unless we obey him. And that's what makes most people stop. That's what makes most people almost obey the gospel. They want Jesus, but they want to continue in the lifestyle in which they are in. Paul reminded those in Corinth that they had changed. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves, of mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners 
shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. But, that's a beautiful word, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, Agrippa doesn't have that word attached to his name in the sense that he came to Jesus. But Agrippa was almost a Christian. That's how it's attached to his name. But Agrippa wasn't a Christian. Some of us may be in Agrippa's shoes. There's a whole lot of folks that are in Agrippa's shoes throughout the world who need to be saved. But they allow sin to prevent them from that happening. Here's the problem. Repentance is a difficult response to Jesus. But it is an absolute necessity to enjoy the benefits of heaven. If we want to look at the plan of salvation, and we just mentioned it a few moments ago, belief isn't a problem. Confession isn't a problem. I think most of the world probably believe in Jesus Christ. I don't think most of the world would have a problem confessing who he is. It's not a problem to be baptized. But boy, repentance. That's the problem. That's the problem. And it's not just a problem for the alien sinner who wants to put on Christ in baptism, Romans 6, 3, and 4. It's not a problem just for the alien sinner who wants to get into Christ, and that's how we do it through baptism, Galatians uh, 3, verses uh, 26 and 27, is it? It's not just for the alien sinner. It's a problem for the Christian who has gone astray. Repentance is the problem because, see, repentance is, is difficult because then we have to change ourselves and sin is a trap because it's enjoyable and we don't want to get out of it. We want to maintain it, but we want to get to heaven. But there's that problem of repentance. And you see, Agrippa didn't want to change. He's going to have to change. He's going to have to get out of that immoral relationship that he had with his sister slash wife, right? The world has to change. The world doesn't want to. But this world's not going to last long. We've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this a lot. I don't care how long we live. It's not going to be long. It's not going to be long. I don't care how old we are now. The world doesn't last long. Wasn't that long ago, I remember, and, and anyone in here can, can think about this exact same thing. It wasn't that long ago, I was sitting in high school thinking, when is this going to be over? That was 30-something years ago. Wasn't that long ago. I don't know that i got 30 more left in me. People don't, that's not, I, I, I don't have 30 more left in me if I live to be average age, right? It's not going to be that long. But that's one of the traps that Agrippa had fallen into was sin. But see, there's at least another one. 
He had fallen into the trap of self. He was concerned about his position. He's looking over. There's Felix. He's looking around. He's got a little power. He was a king. If he obeyed the gospel, his Jewish subjects and his Roman superiors would have turned on him in just a second, just like they had turned on Paul. He was concerned about his pride. He would have lost his face if he became a Christian. What's he going to do? Well, he can't become a Christian. What about my job? When I was in India several years ago, you know one of the biggest problems was the biggest denomination in India, you get outside of the the religion of Hindu, was Catholicism. And if you wanted a job, you had to be a Catholic. And you know how many Christians left Christianity because they needed a job? Self. Self. You see, Agrippa would have had to have bowed before an invisible God and the, and the, the king that he could see would not have liked that. And you know who would have convinced him about that? A Roman prisoner standing next to him. That's a problem. That's a real problem, right? And his pride would not allow him to become a Christian. Without doubt, he was also concerned about the price to be paid by someone who obeyed Christ. Without doubt, that was a problem. Paul was chained right before him. His body was in shackles. He had been beaten. He had been stoned. He had been starved. He had been naked. He'd been on a shipwreck going to Rome. Do you think for a second wealthy Agrippa wanted any of that? I don't want any of it. He would lose all that he valued in life just like Paul did. Here's the difference. Paul said, I counted all as trash, as dung. Paul knew where his treasure was. His treasure was in heaven. The problem is Agrippa didn't believe and obey because Agrippa didn't want to believe and obey. He was in a trap. He'd rather be in the trap than be in the truth. Agrippa was almost a Christian, but almost does not work. And because... He refused God. He faced the tragedies of his decision. That's our third and our final point. Here's what almost gives us. Almost doesn't work, but it will give us something. First of all, it'll give us destruction. We can count on that every single time. Almost leads to destruction. If Agrippa had come to faith of Jesus, his life would have been changed forever. No doubt about it. His life would have been changed forever. He would have been one of the greatest examples that we read of in the New Testament. That is what Jesus does. He changes lives. Tell us one person he came into contact with that he didn't change their life forever. There's not one. There's not an illustration or an example. We see Paul standing before the king and the governor. He's in chains, but his heart is filled with joy and peace. We see it, Acts 26, verse 2. 
he has that peace that he talked about to the Philippian brethren that passes the understanding of the world. The world doesn't get it. How can Paul be standing there and have this joy and peace? Well, let's go back to 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 9. That's how he has it. He was writing his last letter. He's going to death. Most likely having his head chopped off. Looking forward to it. You know what he told the Corinthians? I'm at a crossroads. I want to go on to be with the Lord, but I know it's needful for me to stay here with you because you need me. But I want to go to the Lord. Do you think he didn't understand how to get to the Lord? Through death. Through death. He knew how to get there. He wanted it. He has all the peace and joy in the world. What's Agrippa got? He has destruction. The truth is no one goes to heaven alone and no one goes to hell alone. Agrippa's going to have company. We will influence people in this life one way or the other. Agrippa's actions bolstered Festus' attitude and the other way around. If Agrippa had done the right thing, he might have saved Bernice's soul. I don't see that happening. Parents will lead their children to heaven or they'll help lead them to hell. A husband or a wife will help lead a husband or wife to hell or to heaven. Friends will help lead friends to heaven or hell. Now we can't blame ourselves on whether our husbands or wives or friends or children make it to heaven or to hell. But we are an influence in that, right? Here's something else that uh, almost will give us. It'll give us tragedies. One's destruction. Here's another one, damnation. Destruction will lead to damnation. Agrippa lived the way he wanted to live, no doubt about it. He got what he wanted. He was almost a Christian. And one day death came to Agrippa II. And by all accounts, unless something changed and is not recorded for us, he died without Jesus and he lifted up his eyes being in torments just like the rich man of Luke 16, 23. His almost didn't work. It didn't work. Just like almost doesn't work. One day he will stand alongside everyone else who ever lived, all people, and he's going to be judged based on the choices he made in this life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. It's the same truth. It's the same Savior. It's the same Scripture. It's the same Agrippa. Nothing's changed. He may even tell Jesus he believed everything in the law and the prophets. I'm sure he will. He may say he believed what Paul told him. He may even tell Jesus, I was almost right where I wanted to be. I was almost. I almost told Paul, let's do it. I want to be baptized. I was almost there. But here's the problem. Almost doesn't work. It never has. It has never worked. Here's what Jesus is going to say 
And we have it recorded for us. Matthew 7, 23. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who work iniquity. But here is another sad point. Agrippa will not be alone. There will be a world of people who were almost convinced to be Christians. Here's who he's going to see. Judas Iscariot. He's going to see the Jewish religious leaders. He's going to see the rich young ruler. He's going to see Malchus. He's going to see the lost thief. He's going to see the soldiers who gambled for Jesus' garments. He's going to see Felix. He's going to see Festus. He's going to see Bernice. He's going to see a whole lot of other folks. Here's our prayer that he doesn't see any of us. But for that to happen, almost can't be a part of our lives. We can never say, you know, I almost repented. But then I got in a car. I went to go home to think about it some more and I got killed in a car wreck. Or I had a heart attack. Or I had a stroke. Or whatever might have happened. The time ended. Almost never works. The question for us today is when Agrippa stands before Jesus and hears his sentence, we're going to hear ours. I want us to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. On July 22, 1939, the body of 62-year-old engineer William Hyatt was recovered in the Mojave Desert. His car broke down. He was walking for help, and he walked for 20 miles in 100-degree heat. When he, when he was found, his head and his hands were buried in the sand. Now, I've never been in the Mojave Desert, but I've been across the San Joaquin Valley. And I've been across it in June with, in a traffic jam. The doors on the van open. And I looked out the, the door... And there was a rock and a snake had coiled up on that rock and it was completely fried in the sun. But this man named William Hyatt had spent the last minutes of his life digging for water in the sand of the desert. But here is the, the, the most sad part of this is William was a half a mile from a desert oasis, a spring of water, that could have saved him. He was almost there. Almost doesn't work. Let's examine ourselves and understand where we are in our relationship with Christ. Are we faithful or, we un are, we are, or are we almost faithful? See, almost doesn't work. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.